The church calendar is a cycle. A cycle. It starts on the first Sunday of Advent every year, and it ends on the last Sunday before Advent. This is that Sunday. This is the last Sunday of the church year. It's called Christ the King Sunday, where we celebrate the fact that Christ is our King, that he reigns, and that he's returning. And we're in the middle of a series of parables that talk about the return of Christ. I'm not sure I said that right. We are at the end of a series of parables that talk about the return of Christ. And we understand that when he returns, he will return as king. And we anticipate that day. The parables that we've been discussing begin in Matthew 25, 24, and stretch through Matthew 25. The setting of these parables places them right after Jesus talks about the end of the age, or in other words, the return of Jesus Christ as king to rule the earth. Jesus lived on the earth, the incarnation of the Son of God. God's Son always existed, but at one point in time, he took on flesh and became the God-man, Jesus the Christ. When Jesus lived on earth, he taught us by his example how we are supposed to live. Then he suffered and died to reconcile us to God. After that, the Father raised him from the dead, and he appeared to his disciples and others. The flesh that Jesus had after he rose from the dead is the kind of flesh we will get one day because Jesus is the first fruits of those who rise from the dead. Before he returned to heaven, where he sits at the right hand of the Father, he told the disciples that they were to be his witnesses everywhere they went. And then as he ascended, the angels said to his disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. We don't know when, but these three parables in this final collection of parables in Matthew's gospel are addressing what we are supposed to be doing while we wait for his return. Last Sunday, we talked about the responsibility of leaders in the interim. Leaders in the church exist to resource the workers. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 underscore this reality. Leaders are the servants of the workers. But it is also true that the workers have to feed themselves as they mature, which means eating spiritual food more than once a week. Together, leaders and workers we do the work Christ calls us to do, week after week, diligently fulfilling our calling to live as daughters and sons of the King. The second parable reminded us of the need to be ready for the groom when he returns to collect his bride. Preparations have been made for us, and we fill in the time between the day we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and the time when he returns to collect us by carrying out the mission of Christ. We demonstrate our love for Christ by caring for the people that he loves. I don't want to skip the next parable in the sequence, but if you need to have a reminder about how much Jesus cares for the poor and marginalized, jump down to verse 31 of Matthew 25 and read that story that speaks to the day that Jesus returns. 
Jesus stands with all the poor, all the destitute, all those in need. And when you care for them, you demonstrate caring for Jesus. But I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Today's parable starts in Matthew 25, verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. And as you're able, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 25, 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. This is a familiar parable to us. A similar parable can also be found in the gospel according to Luke chapter 19. A man leaves town and entrusts his resources to three different servants. Notice the owner doesn't give any specific instructions, yet the servants seem to know what is expected. They are to take the resources entrusted to them and get to work. In time, the master returns, and he looks to see what his servants have done. You heard the story. Two men have similar returns, both double the investment. One does not. When the master returns, he rewards the two who have done well. Notice that the reward is not retirement or some kind of bonus. The reward is to be entrusted with greater responsibility. 
these servants become even more useful to the master once they have demonstrated their ability and faithfulness and effectiveness. The servant who is ineffective loses the resources he has and is not given additional opportunity to serve. He becomes useless to the master. This is a parable about what we are supposed to be doing while waiting for the return of our master. Remember, leaders are resourcing and serving the members of the body of Christ. The members of the body of Christ are diligently waiting for the return of Christ and filling up their lives with good works in the meantime. And now, in this third parable, those who have been entrusted with special gifts are making the most of the gifts they have been given in service to the kingdom of God. I wonder when I hear the story if the master suspected this kind of result from these specific servants. It tells us that he gave them resources based on their ability, but I wonder if based on their character he expected them to do as well as they did. He did manage to entrust the majority of his wealth to servants who produced well. He entrusted a much smaller portion to a servant who managed his wealth improperly. He must have suspected that those two servants could handle greater responsibility, and so they were entrusted with more. I wonder if he also suspected that the lazy servant would not rise to the occasion. And yet, he still wanted to give that servant some opportunity to rise to the occasion. He, he invested faith and trust in one who perhaps he suspected would not do, do well, but he also gave that person a chance, an opportunity to become more than the master thought he was. This much we know for sure. The master entrusted different amounts of resources to different folks as was his right to do, right? The master gets to choose how to invest. It's his cash, it's his gifts, it's his resources. He gets to choose how to do that. And I'm curious what we're supposed to understand from a story like this. We know this much. God gives gifts to people to be used in the work of the kingdom of God. Some folks get more, some folks get less. And according to this story, the more we get, the greater our responsibility. If you have been entrusted with much, then the Father has significant expectations for you. And if you have managed the gifts of God to you well, you can expect to be granted greater responsibility in the kingdom based on the work that you have already done. Someone recently reminded me that there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. And at some level, that's true, uh, but not completely. You see, when we have worked faithfully in the kingdom of God for many years, there comes a time when you need to step away from leadership positions 
to allow younger individuals the space to stretch their wings and learn the leadership tasks. But true leaders never abandon their posts to the next generation. True faithful servants stand beside the new leaders and mentor and guide the younger ones so that they can faithfully, with great support, step into new roles. Leaders, workers at every level who have done well, then get the responsibility of training those who will follow them to support them and encourage them so that the work of the kingdom can continue. You probably know that handing off a job is likely more work than just doing it yourself. But we should never, when we hand off a job, assume that there isn't another job waiting for us once we've completed the handoff because greater responsibility comes to those who effectively do the work they've been assigned in the kingdom of God. To whom much is given, much is required. It's still true today. I would make another observation from the story. Every once in a while, someone says to me, I don't have any gifts. There's nothing that I can do to help. I believe that God sovereignly gives gifts to his people to enable them to do the work of the kingdom. And it may be that you don't recognize the gifts that you have already been given. God has gifted every one of us in some way. God can use every one of us in some way. And we may just not see the way that he's trying to use us. Do you remember the story of Moses? Moses has already run off from Egypt. He's living as a shepherd out in the wilderness. And while he's out there with the sheep one day, he sees a bush that's on fire. It's burning. It's not being consumed. That's an oddity, something no one's seen before on the planet. Whenever there's fire, some kind of fuel is being consumed. But on this particular day, the bush is not burning up. And so Moses is intrigued. He goes over to take a peek at the bush. And the voice speaks to him, apparently from the bush, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Moses takes off his shoes and falls to the ground because he's terrified. Bushes don't speak. And bushes don't burn without being consumed. But he understands that God is speaking to him. And God has words for him. And God tells him how he must serve and what he must do to rescue his people, the people of God, from Egypt. But Moses has doubts. Moses says, I'm, I'm like a shepherd here. I mean, how, how can I do that? And he has all kinds of excuses why he can't do that. And he eventually gets to the excuse where he says, what do I tell people if they say, who told you to come do this? And here God names himself. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. The great I am is sending. Just tell them. I am has sent me. And then um, having had God reveal his name to him, Moses immediately submits. No, no, no. Moses doesn't immediately submit. Moses has more, more doubts. He, he can't do this. Even though he's confronting the God of the universe, 
Even though this God is revealing himself to Moses, even though he's seen bushes that don't burn and voices that speak out of nowhere, that's not enough for Moses. He still has doubts about what he can do, right? And so Moses says, you know, what if they don't believe me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord says to him, do you remember what he says next? The Lord says to Moses, Moses, what's that in your hand? What you got there, Moses? What do you have? He replies simply, a staff. And you know how the story goes from there. God tells Moses to throw the staff on the ground. Staff turns into a snake. Moses is shocked. More shocked when the Lord says, pick it back up. One of my favorite composers, Ken Miedema, has written a song about this encounter. And his response to God saying to Moses, pick the staff up, he has Moses saying back to God, Lord, you haven't lived here very long. You don't pick up snakes like that, you know. Uh, but Moses eventually does, reaches down, picks up the snake, it turns into a staff again. And I think what we are to learn from that now and always is that God will use whatever you have in your hand. What you have in your hand, he's given you if you will just give it back to him. If you will say yes to his instructions, if you will commit yourself completely to his way, whatever gifts he gives you, and you've got something in your hand, then he will use that for his glory. The question simply is this, will you give what you have? Will you work with what you have been given for the sake of the kingdom of God? I've learned some things in the last week about the shape of our compassion. I have 11 responses at the, at the moment. You heard me ask the last two weeks for you to write down what you're doing in compassion towards others uh, outside the walls of the church, specifically where I can't see, so that I can understand what the shape of the compassion of this congregation is. This is what I've learned. One of you writes letters regularly to an emotionally challenged child to support them. Several of you are working to assist in the raising of children that are not your own children. Some of you give regularly to community food banks. Several of you call elderly neighbors or friends to check on them daily. At least one of you takes meals to new neighbors to welcome them. A couple of you support animal shelters. A couple of you make pillows or blankets for hospital patients. Several of you collect clothing to take to various clothing banks. Several of you support missionaries beyond the faith promise work of this local church. Some of you are supporting specific mission projects in other countries. Several of you are very involved in the care of your grandchildren. At least one of you clears the snow from his neighbor's driveway. Several of you sponsor children overseas. That's a good list. But it's the list of just 11 or 12 of you. I'd sure like to see the full shape of our compassion because I'm convinced that the shape of our Compassion must expand because I am also convinced that we are a five bags of gold church. 
that God has invested incredible gifts in you. And I think that the shape of our compassion should be larger, that the shape of our work for the kingdom should be greater given the amounts that God has entrusted for us. Think of the difference we could make if we all pledged ourselves to fully embrace the work God has entrusted to us. The pastor of the United Methodist Church, South United Methodist Church, is a friend of mine. We were talking last week, and he, he recommended a book for me to read, which I read. And the book begins with this statement. On the hymnal committee of the United Methodist Church, I argued loud and long to have the hokey pokey added to the hymnal. And I thought about that for a second. I said, you're nuts. He said, no, no, no. You, you have to sing all the way till you get to the final part where you put your whole self in, right? He said, somewhere, we've got to get to the place where we're not just throwing one right hand in or one, one left leg in or whatever. We've got to sing our way all the way through where we throw our whole selves in so that we give ourselves completely to the mission of Christ. That we put all of our resources before him. That we acknowledge all that we have is from him. We've had this food pantry box here for a number of weeks now and it stands in the lobby most of the time empty. I know we used to have a food pantry in this church. I still get calls frequently from folks asking if we still have a food pantry here. We joined forces with the Mac Charity Building, but we sort of joined forces and forgot about them. We can do better than this. We need someone to step up and take the food out of this box every two weeks and deliver it to the food pantry. We need to start thinking about others when we do our weekly grocery shopping, because that's something we all have in our hands, something that we do. Holiday baskets are a great and wonderful thing. But hunger is a 52-week-a-year problem. And we can do better. I understand when I preach a sermon like this that there are some of you who are already working very hard. And please, don't hear me say you must do more when you've already thrown your whole self in. I'm not saying that. The Father isn't saying that you're working yourself to death. That doesn't please him. It's taking what he's given you and committing it completely to him. If your three bags of gold are already, an invest, are already invested in working, I am not calling you to do more. But I am curious about the promotions that God might issue and the greater responsibilities we might get if we found ourselves operating at a level of complete surrender to God. God doesn't ask us to work our way into the kingdom of God. All that we have in our hand, all that we can give, are things that he has already given to us. Our salvation is gifted to us free of any work. There's nothing we can do to earn something as valuable as our salvation. But once we have been so gifted, 
Once we have been brought into the kingdom, once we have been given a second chance, our response in gratitude to Christ the King to get to work, to step into the family business, the family business of letting the world know that they are loved by Christ, letting the world know that they are valued, that they are treasured, that Christ wants to be in relationship with all of his children. That's, that's, our, that's our work. That's our work. Next Sunday, we'll be asked to partner in mission with the global church of the Nazarene as missionaries around the world continue to spread the good news of the love of Christ for the world. But this Sunday, we're asking the Holy Spirit to show us what is in our hands. What has the Master given us? What our responsibilities are ours? What are our responsibilities for work in the kingdom? And how do we demonstrate our love for God and glorify Him by the work of our hands? I'm going to ask Aaron to come back and we're going to sing a closing song, Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart. And while we sing that song, I'd like to ask you to connect in your mind these two things. Thanksgiving for all that God has given us and the responsibilities that come with gratitude to God for what he's given us. Let's put those things together consciously in our mind. Thanksgiving for all the blessings that we have and how those blessings inspire a love for God in us that makes us want to do his work, that makes us want to express his compassion, to express his mercy, his caring for others. Let's ask him to help us put those two things together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word which reminds us of the gifts that we have from you. And help us, Lord, as we inspect our own lives, as we look for the, the fruit of the labor of our hands, so that we together, with the help of your Holy Spirit, might please you by, your, by our work. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing this song together? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ, his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. 
the poor say I am rich because of what the Lord has done for us. And now let the weak say I am strong, let the poor say I am rich because of what for us give thanks and father now all of us live to please you and may your glory be expressed through our lives as we work to serve you pray this in the name of christ amen go in peace